Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4. Always great to come out here, and um, uh, this time of year is, is probably my favorite because I don't need any moisturizer for my skin. You know, I live in the desert in Southern California, and you know, moisturizer is important there. But here, uh, I, I, you guys don't need it, and so that's why you all look so young. You know, you look so young. You, I just, you know, the people that I know here that I've known for years, I come back here and they look the same. And so it's it's got to be the uh, moisture, the humidity in the air that keeps the wrinkles from happening as badly. So anyhow, you're all looking good this morning. And um, it's always great to come out and to just be able to share the word with such a great church. And uh, and uh, Tom and Lisa, such great friends for so many years. I mean, I've known them uh, for, for a long time. I don't know how long, actually, but a long time. And um, so uh, they, they've been a blessing to me and uh, to the church here, and uh, I'm sure you guys miss them, and they will be back. He's coming back tomorrow because we got board meetings. So um, got board meetings with Joplin and uh, the church here. So, well, let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you for this time to gather and to study your word. And now, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us today, Lord, that you would lead and guide us, Lord, and God, that you would strengthen our faith in you. Lord, I thank you for this church and this community, Lord, you uh, fulfilling your plan and purpose here. And I pray, Lord, that as uh, uh, these people, Lord, continue to uh, seek you and, and to serve you, Lord, that you would continue to add to the church, that you would continue to uh, strengthen the faith and, and the testimony of this body here in this community. So, Lord, bless this time now of studying your word. Lord, I pray if there's any here that have not yet given their lives to you, Lord, that they today would come to know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ through a personal relationship with him. So, we, we just commit this time to you now, Lord. We ask for your blessing upon it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm told that we can go till, uh, let's see, I can't even see the clock though, so I better take off my watch because, you know, if I can't see the clock, it's not a good thing. Uh, the next service starts at what time? Do you guys know? 10.45, so, so I better get going. Anyhow, it, uh, you know, I, got, I don't want to preach too long because it, it reminds me of a story of a woman named Gladys who went to uh, a church uh, one particular Sunday. She was at her church and the sermon, you know, how pastors can be, the sermon seemed to go on uh, forever. And as a result, many in the congregation uh, have fallen asleep. And, and I certainly don't want that to happen here. I'll try and yell every once in a while and that'll kind of wake you up. But after the service, uh, Gladys, in order to be friendly, walked up to a very sleepy looking gentleman in an attempt to revive him from his stupor, extended her hand and she uh, greeted him and said, uh, hello, my name is Gladys Dunn. And the gentleman replied, you're not the only one. Glad it's done. Get it, Glad? Yes, done. Okay, well, the title of my message is How to Handle Trouble. And uh, I think it's always a timely message in that we always have trouble. Reminds me of a, uh, of a Peanuts cartoon. Everyone has read that uh, comic strip at one point or another by Charles Schultz. And uh, if you have, you can't help but love Charlie Brown. 
In one of the classic cartoons, Charlie Brown is at the beach and he is building this beautiful sandcastle and, and he's worked all day long and he stands back to admire and def, you know his finished work and suddenly, out of nowhere, it is consumed by a wave. And uh, looking at the smooth mound that had been his creation just moments before, with a pitiful look on his face, Charlie Brown says, there must be a lesson here, but I don't know what it is. You see, if you haven't learned this already, you will. One of the greatest teachers in life is trouble. Do you know that? When troubles come your way, those are the teaching times. Those are the teaching seasons in your life. The reality is, and God knows this, that we will learn more from trouble and hard times in life than we will ever learn from the good times. And today I want to ask you a very simple question. And for many of you, <clears throat> excuse me, I already know the answer. You don't need to raise your hands. But the question is, do any of you have any problems here today that are big enough that you think about them frequently and you wished maybe as you look back you would have handled things differently, you wished you could start over, you, you wish you wouldn't have said that thing, you see, because of the trouble that you are in presently. Perhaps some of you today, as you sit here this morning, you're out of work. Others of you, maybe you're uh, physically, uh, you went to the doctor recently and, and got some news that wasn't so good. Some of you are struggling financially, perhaps. You uh, had an unexpected, you know, circumstance or situation come in and, and you're not sure where the money's coming from. Some of you are uh, having problems maritally. Uh, you know, I know that that happens from time to time. Donna and I don't have any, but I know other people do. And so that's, a, of course, a joke. But there's a statement that uh, preachers uh, find common and, uh, and it's a, a saying among uh, pastors, and it reads like this, if you will preach to hurting people, you will always have a listening audience. Here in our text in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, a powerful preacher of God's Word, a, a missionary, I mean, none like him. He was a, a go-for-it kind of a guy. He is now at the end of his life. He's in his final days. In fact, what we read here in 2 Timothy 4 are some of his final words before he is put to death. This man, he had a Ph.D. in trouble. He had a doctorate in distress. And as he wrote these words, uh, that we are going to read together today, uh, I, I want to set the stage for you because here he is at the end of his life uh, when many times we think in, in our society, in our uh, country, 
uh, we think of, well, it's retirement time, right? And so, so it's going to be easy. You see, at the end, I quit working, I quit everything, and I just kick back and retire and take it easy and cruise into heaven, you see. But you see, that's not the way it was for the apostle, and that's not the way it is for many. You see, because Paul here is not a sitting in a place that's easy. He's in a Roman dungeon, uh, facing his death. And four short, simple sentences Paul gives here are a treasure chest when it comes to the truth about trouble and how to look at it, how to deal with it. Now listen, we all, for all of you that, you know, uh, can hear my voice, and I hope that's all of you, if the microphone and everything is working, uh, the reality is, is you're either in trouble, just getting out of trouble, or you're about to get in trouble. That's, that's the reality of life. And here's, here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about what you, as a believer in Christ, need to know Whenever you are in trouble. And there are three things in our text here that I would like to draw to your attention. Three things that I want you to remember when you're in your own dungeon of disappointment, despair, or discouragement, or disillusionment. There are three lessons here that we can learn from Paul when it comes to dealing with trouble. Let's begin reading here in verse 9, and then we'll go back and comment. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to also to all who love His appearing. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed for Thessalonica. Acrescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me for ministry. And Titus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, that all the Gentiles might hear. Also I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, these closing words of Paul, you can see not an easy Circumstance. He is not in the lap of comfort and luxury in his final days. He is not surrounded by friends. Here in this prison, Paul, as we read here, is alone. How do we know that? Well, verse 16, at my first defense, no one stood with me. 
No one supported me. They all deserted me. But don't, don't lay that to their charge, Lord. I don't want, I don't want them to, to have any problems, you see. I love that. Listen, the reality is, precious saints, when we're in trouble, like Paul here, and many forsake us and leave us, Maybe those around us don't understand us and and can't relate to us. Listen, you can count on God's presence in those times in your life. That word defense there comes from a Greek word that that is apologia, which of course gives us our English word apology or apologetics. It's a word that's used to speak of a, a legal defense. A Paul here is on trial. He's uh, in the Roman court system. He's accused. And uh, as, as an accused person, he has two hearings. The first hearing in that time was to establish the charge. And the second hearing was to, discern, to determine guilt or innocence. Paul here was referring to his first trial when he was facing the charge that had been laid against him, and he makes it clear that no one supported him. No one was there as an advocate, as a witness, you see. He didn't have an attorney or someone to represent him and stand in his defense. Nobody would take the case. Paul goes on to say, all deserted me. And in the Greek, all means all. There was nobody. Not one person. Here, the world's greatest missionary. You talk about being faithful. This guy was faithful as a man could be. He was determined as a man could be. He was one of the most powerful preachers of the Word of God. He, if you read Romans, was a theologian par excellence. But he couldn't find one person to stand up and speak for him. That's pretty radical to think about. You see, nobody was singing, stand by your man. He was singing alone again, naturally, perhaps. For some of you younger people, you don't. What is that? Well, check it out. You can Google it. Stand by your man's a song and alone again, naturally, is a song as well. But all of Paul's so-called friends had deserted him. You ever been there? You ever feel alone? Like, uh, again, you can have people around and, and they don't get it. They don't understand. And, and sometimes they don't appear to care at all about what's going on with you. Paul was in that place. But guess what? He goes on to say in verse 17, all have forsaken me, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord stood with me. You need to remember that because no matter how much trouble you get into, you can always count on the presence, precious saint of the Lord. No one stood with me, but the Lord stood with me like a rock. 
Jesus was there with him in that prison, and he's there with you. If you've had people walk out on you, leave you, and push away from you, a, a spouse can do that, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend can do that, a, a child can run away, but Jesus said he will never, no, never leave us or forsake us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 27, verse 10, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. The story of a, a, a children's uh, Sunday school at church, and the teacher was trying to explain uh, a verse of Scripture that read, uh, the, the verse of Scripture that I just read, and he said, Can anybody in the class tell me what that verse means when a mom and dad forsake you, but the Lord will hold you close? And a little boy raised his hand and said, I know exactly what it means. And the teacher said, What does it mean? And he said, that verse means when there's only one of us, there's really always two of us. It's good to know. Never forget that. That little boy was right. And one of the, the greatest advantages of knowing God and being part of his family is that even though we may feel lonely, and that happens. I mean, there's times where you feel lonely. Know this, you are never alone, never alone. Notice what else the Lord did for Paul. He said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He strengthened me. Now that word for strengthen literally means to give power to. Do you know that God's power in your life is the greatest when you are weakest? That's what Paul said. Hey, he gave me this a thorn in the flesh that in that weakness, this this problem that I have, uh, I find his strength. He is strong in that place of weakness. Why? Because it keeps you going to the Lord. It keeps you looking to the Lord. It keeps you leaning on the Lord. You see. Trouble is always made up of one or two uh, or two things, either uh, foes, enemies or fears, uncertainties. God has given the power to us to face both of your enemies as well as your I mean, both your enemies as well as your uncertainties. What are you uncertain about today? Hey, God, God knows. And God has given you the strength. What enemy is coming after you? What, what is uh, coming your way? Maybe harassing you? Whatever that is, God knows all about it. And he, He's there to give you the strength to make it through, you see. I want you to note here in our text that God did not save Paul from his troubles. That's many times what we want. When we're going through trouble or trial, we're going, Oh Lord, Lord, just take it away. Take it away. God doesn't always take it away. Paul, his trouble was not removed. What he did, rather than take it away, is he stood with him through the troubles, and we read he strengthened him in them. You going through trouble right now? Hey, God wants to develop Character and strength 
in the face of that difficulty. God doesn't save us, does He? Ultimately, He doesn't save us from the valley of the shadow of death, does He? In fact, if uh, you're around long enough, if the Lord doesn't return, guess what we're all going to do? We're all going to die. There are a lot of uncertainties in life, but that's not one of them. We are all going to die. We will all pass through the valley of the shadow of death. But here's the deal. Jesus will walk with us all the way, every step of the way. And we need to remember this, saints. Jesus didn't come to get us out of trouble. He came to get into trouble with us. And he's there in that trouble. And there's nothing that reveals who you are and who are your real friends like those times when you go through trouble. Because the real friend, you see, will always say when you're going through tough times, when things aren't going well and, and when you're at the short end of the stick, the real friend stays. They don't quit. They don't give up. They don't walk out. The real friends, the true friends, they stay with you in the tough times. Back in 1940, Elizabeth was a queen mother of England and London was being bombed every day by Nazi Germany. And it looked as if the entire nation was going to be bombed into submission. The queen was asked, by the media, if she was going to take her daughters and leave England. The queen replied, the children will not leave England unless I do. I shall not leave unless their father does. The king will not leave the country in any circumstance, whatever. You see, our heavenly king, the king of kings, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Lord of lords, he will never leave us, his children, under any circumstance, He will always be there. So when you're in trouble, you can count on uh, God's presence in your life. Uh, secondly, you can count on God's purpose for your life. Now the context, do you have the picture in your mind here? The Roman uh, courtroom is packed. Paul here, as he is uh, standing, he is standing to speak. And the crowd along with the judge, senses that this man that is before them is different than any other man they have had previously. This is not an ordinary defendant, not the run-of-the-mill Roman citizen. The judge senses that whoever this man Paul is, he's different. And since no one else would stand in Paul's defense, Paul then was given the opportunity to speak on his own defense. Well, to the surprise of many, as his opportunity came, he didn't go to his defense. In fact, he went on the offense. In verse 17, we read the reason the Lord strengthened Paul. It says here, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. At that moment, Paul gave the strangest defense ever given in the history of Roman law. Here he is in a packed courthouse. 
He talks about a Nazarene carpenter born of a virgin who lived a sinless life, who, who died on a cross, who rose from the grave. And even those uh, very Romans who were listening to him, he was giving them the opportunity to, to be saved. Hey, Jesus can save you. This one, uh, Jesus, the Messiah, died on the cross for you. Now, this crowd, of course, uh, largely composed of non-believers. Of course, the judge, uh, not a believer. Uh, Paul knew that the only time these people may have an opportunity to hear the name of Jesus was, was right now as he was standing before them. So God strengthened Paul as the verse seven, as verse 17 reads here to the place where he could get his eyes off his trouble and get his eyes on the Lord. That's an important thing to remember if you're going through a tough time in your life. When you are in trouble, here's, here's the thing to do. When you're in trouble, note God is more interested in doing something in you than he is in doing something for you. More interested in doing something in you than doing something for you. You see what was going on here? Well, first of all, God's message was preached. Paul got a chance to preach the gospel to a people in a place that otherwise he would have never had here. Listen, in every circumstance that you go through in this life, God wants to use you in some way to share and to show His message of hope and love and salvation to the world, to those around you. Trouble isn't intended to stress you, but to bless you. How? By allowing God to use you. And the next thing that happened is the, the people... Well, the people that were listening were people that needed to hear. If anybody knows that you're a Christian, uh, when you're going through a tough time in your life, know this, that if they know you're a Christian, they're not watching you intently or very closely when everything is going wonderfully. What they're watching is when the boss gets on you, when you go through some kind of difficulty with your children or, or a close a friend and, and struggles come your way, things begin to kind of get cloudy, you see. Uh, they, they are watching to see your attitude and to see how you respond in the face of difficulty. Because they want to know as a Christian, how are you different? How do you handle troubles? Some of the greatest times of testimony will be in the face of greatest difficulties, friends. Greatest opportunities there. The greatest thing that happened to Paul was that the Son of God here, as we read, was glorified. Paul was able to say in verse 18, To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The only thing that really matters when you're in trouble is not how the trouble turns out and not how the circumstances end, but that Jesus is glorified in you and in me. Because isn't that why we're here, after all? To bring Him honor, to bring Him glory. You can never be what God wants you to be. And God can never do in you what He wants to do without 
trouble, you see. That's key. You've got to learn to see trouble through the eyes of God, saints. The devil wants to bring uh, trouble into our lives as, as an enemy to destroy us. God wants to take the trouble and turn it into a friend to mature us, to grow us. And remember this, when you're going through the tough times, God always has a purpose. You may not see it, you may not understand it, but God is always behind it, you see. And He has a lesson that He wants us to learn, things that He wants us to teach. He has a work that He wants to do in you. That's why we read, and and Peter would know because... He definitely had his share of trouble. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, in verse 12, we read, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead be, listen to this, very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it is revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. When's the last time you were happy for being insulted as a Christian? Being put down as a Christian. It says be happy when you're insulted. Thank you, Lord. You know what? They're harassing me for standing for you and believing in you and, and saying what you say and, and calling sin, sin and, and uh, living for what's right and, and standing against what's wrong. And, and if they insult me for that, guess what? I'm to be happy. I'm to rejoice, you see. I'm not to think it a strange thing for people to come at me that way. You see, those fiery trials are to perfect you and to strengthen you. So when we're in trouble, I can count on God's presence in my life. I can count on God's purpose for my life. And then thirdly and finally, I can count on God's protection over my life. Right in the middle of standing trial for his life, not knowing what the outcome would be, Paul here makes an incredibly bold statement when he says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. You hear that? Hey, hey, whatever comes my way, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Now, it would be very easy to uh, either misunderstand what Paul has said and easy, even easier to just refuse to believe it because we all know that Paul didn't make it out of that dungeon alive if you read the history. He made that statement, but ultimately he was killed. We all know as well that bad things do happen to God's people. Even when we're obedient, even when we're blessing Him and being used by Him. And sometimes it appears to be evil that is coming our way. And sometimes we're not rescued. But the word here, when it says, God will deliver me from every evil deed, that word for deliver means to take from the presence of. 
There are two ways to be rescued from danger. Number one, you can either have the danger be taken away from you, or number two, you can be taken away from the danger. Let me illustrate. You're a Christian, but you're sick. You may even have what the doctors uh, call a, a terminal illness. Now, we all know, don't we, and believe that God can heal. We all believe that, in fact, all healing comes from God. Yes, He can use doctors, and we thank God for them and nurses as vessels and instruments of healing. But ultimately, we know the healing comes from God. What you may not realize and may I think makes some Christians uncomfortable is that God can heal in one of two ways. He can bring a healing, number one, that's temporary here on earth, or He can bring a healing that's permanent in heaven. You see, God can either take the disease away from you, that is, He can heal you physically, or, or listen to this, he can take you away from the disease and heal you permanently and take, him, take you home into eternity. You see, that's the ultimate healing, isn't it, in reality? Because every earthly healing, I mean, pretty impressive, Lazarus, Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and he rose out of the grave. That's impressive. He had been dead for several days. Martha says, Lord, don't bother. You know what? We know you You got here too late. He's dead. By now, he stinketh. In other words, he's got rigor mortis. He's rotting. God, don't. you don't have to go out there and do anything here to the grave. Let's just stay here at the house and, and hang out. And, and so you, you messed up and didn't show up in time. So, you know, it, it's a bad scene, but things happen. So let's make the best out of it. Jesus knows, no, let's go out to the grave here. And, and, and uh, so he went out to the grave and, and, of course, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And we all know the story. Lazarus rose from the grave. I mean, he was dead uh, to the point, point of uh, Martha thinking uh, he's decomposing by now. Familiar with that scene in that day. And, and so don't bother. But he comes hopping out of the grave. Pretty impressive. I mean, think about that and what that would actually be like. Say you had a loved one. You're all at the cemetery. He's being lowered in. I've, I've stood long enough around to watch them lower the casket down into the, the grave there. And it's, it's kind of an interesting feeling. It's, it's one thing to, and I've done many funerals, so it's one thing to walk away, you know, from the, from the casket with the flowers and everything on it and, and that kind of a thing. It's a whole nother feeling to watch that casket being lowered and then watch them begin throwing the dirt onto that casket. I've seen it many times. Now, I can't imagine as they're lowering that casket with a few family members, usually they kind of hang around and, and uh, suddenly... Uh, the Lord speaking to me saying, I want to raise that person from the dead. And I, I say, okay, Lord. And I say, uh, come forth. I say their name and come forth. And suddenly, boom, they bust out of the casket. Hey, how's it going, man? I mean, that would be, that would be impressive. I mean, it would be something that, uh, listen, Fox News, uh, everybody would cover 
And I'd be a multi-millionaire in no time, which is probably why God doesn't do it that much nowadays. You see, here's the deal. Lazarus, miraculous thing, he's cruising around, walking the planet. But guess what he had to do again? He had to die again. I mean, he already went through the process once. Now he's got to go through the process all over again. You see, the real healing is that which is eternal. That's the ultimate healing because we go home to glory and we never die, you see. So Paul here is saying, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. And then we come to the conclusion, or or what conclusion do we come to as a result? Well, listen, if the Lord doesn't rescue you from something, listen to this, pay attention to this. If the Lord does not rescue you from something, listen, it's not an evil deed in God's He's got a good plan. You see, for your good and for His glory. Because the only thing that is evil to a child of God is that which is outside the will of God. And the greatest example of this, of course, is the cross. Jesus was not delivered from the cross. But what the devil meant for evil what God do? He used it for good. God, Christian, listen to this, does not always deliver us from being burned at the stake. He's not delivered, doesn't always deliver us from being uh, persecuted as he didn't deliver Peter per, uh, uh, crucified upside down. He, he didn't deliver many of the apostles. Many of the early believers uh, died for their faith. But God will deliver you and me from everything that is contrary to his will for your life. One of the greatest verses in the entire Bible is this one in Psalm chapter Uh, 138, verse 8, it reads like this, The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Or in the New Living, it says, The Lord will work out His plans for my life, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. That doesn't mean that there won't be any sorrow or any heartache or any trouble. It does mean that God will use the sorrow and the heartache and the trouble to accomplish in my life whatever He wants to accomplish. And finally, Paul goes on to say there in verse 18, He will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. That simply means that everything that happens in your earthly life, in this earthly life that we are living presently, is getting us ready, preparing us for eternity. That's why it's far better to die in a moment than to live for eternity and live for eternity rather than to live for the moment and die in eternity. 
You see, what's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian? Well, both the Christian and the non-Christian run out of time, but only the Christian never runs out of hope. We never run out of hope because our hope is not in, in hey, good news, our hope is not in the next political campaign. Okay? Um, uh, the, now, that said, you should vote. Uh, I know a lot of Christians say, well, I'm not going to vote because I don't know. What. Listen, just, you need to pray and ask God to lead and guide you. Men died and, uh, and fought in wars uh, to protect our right to vote. And so, guess what? We need to exercise, you know, with godly wisdom to the best of our ability, you know, uh, uh, to vote and, and to do the right thing. The one thing that is a problem is a lot, I hear a lot of Christians say, well, I'm not going to vote because I don't like either. Listen, you need to prayerfully vote whatever the Lord leads you and for whoever the Lord leads you to vote for. But don't, don't not exercise the right that God has given you to, to vote. Uh, you've, you've heard the old saying, all that's necessary for evil to prevail is for good men and women to do what? To sit around and do nothing. You've got to step up, you see, and use that opportunity. But our hope, our hope is not in whatever happens politically. Our hope is in Christ, you see. Trouble comes our way. In fact, there's an illustration, it's an anecdote. I actually snopes this to see if it was, uh, you know, legit, because I know you can do that nowadays, and I always try and check the stories and uh, there, was, there was enough on both sides of this. I don't know if it's fully true or not, but it's a great illustration. Uh, many years ago, uh, fishing for codfish up in the northeastern part of the United States had become a, a very lucrative commercial business. And so the fishing industry recognized there was a, a great mor- market for codfish that was growing all over the country, but they had a distribution problem. And so they, they, they would ship initially the, the fish, they would uh, freeze them and, and ship them across the country. But for some reason, after the codfish was frozen, it lost its taste. So the owners then, uh, trying to figure out how to keep the flavor in these fish, decided to ship them in huge tanks that were filled with, uh, with uh, salt water, you know, where they caught them. And they thought that that would solve the problem and keep the codfish fresh. But to their disappointment, it only made matters worse because the fish were in the tank, but they were inactive in the tank. And as a result, when they were uh, cooked, uh, they were soft, the meat was soft and and mushy, and and the flavor wasn't really there, you see. So one day, uh, somebody came up with the the idea of putting uh, some catfish, a, a natural enemy of the codfish, in the tank with the codfish, so that as the tank traveled across the country, the catfish then would chase the codfish and, and keep them active, so uh, more like they were in the wild, you see, so that the, the freshness and the flavor would be preserved. Well, guess what? It worked. When these codfish arrived, with the, that were, you know, had the, tank, the catfish in the tank with them, because they kept them on the move and were kind of always after them, they were fresh and flaky and tasty. You see, it, it made for good eating. Listen, God wants to 
keep that flavor in you and me as Christians. What's it take? Well, God allows trouble. He drops the catfish of trouble into the tanks of our lives. It's put there to challenge us and to strengthen us and to keep us fresh and growing. And it's there to keep pushing us to trust increasingly in the Lord. To trust in the one who says to you, listen, whenever you're in trouble, you can count on my presence. You can count on my purpose being accomplished. And you can count on my protection. Nothing can come into the life of us as believers in Christ that hasn't first gone through the Father. And God's got a plan and a purpose in the trouble that you're in presently. He wants you to grow through it rather than just go through it. May God help us to embrace and not run from it, but to respond properly to it that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. I pray now, Lord, that as your spirit has spoken to our hearts, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, Lord, be those who uh, recognize, Lord, your plan and your purpose. You are Lord over every aspect of our lives. You're working out your purposes, the difficulties, the struggles that we are facing presently. Lord, you have placed them there and, and they provide for us an opportunity for maturity. They provide for us an opportunity for testimony. Uh, the, the world, the non-believer is looking at how we respond when we go through tough times. Lord, may... May, may we be those who, Lord, when, when squeezed in difficulties, Lord, uh, pour out the fragrance of Jesus to those around us, Lord. That they would sense your love, your life. That they would sense your strength. Lord, that we would be those who continue to uh, reflect your love and your mercy. Lord, that they would see as Paul said here, your glory in us, that you might work through us. Lord, that we would see the opportunities, Lord, that are, are there before us when we go through those times. So, Lord, continue to help us to keep our eyes on you. And, Lord, I pray if there's any here today that have not yet given their lives to you, Lord, uh, perhaps the reason they're in trouble today, part of the, the reason they're here today is because maybe someone invited them or they've just been having troubles recently and they, they perhaps haven't been to church in, in years, but they've come today because they're, they're in trouble, Lord, and they're looking for help and hope. Lord, may, may they place that hope in Jesus Christ. May they come today and give their lives to you and have their sins forgiven and the hope of heaven. And we'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.